Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including supporting material, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash GWC. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Takeda Pharmaceuticals. Welcome to this Pure Voice activity on complex perianal fistulas due to Crohn's disease. This activity comprises three presentations featuring a panel of experts. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Peer Voice activity. I'm delighted to be joined by some really excellent colleagues Christina Gexi from the Amsterdam University Medical Center in Amsterdam, and Jordi Romola from the Department of Radiology in the Hospital Clinic de Barcelona in Spain. And we'll start off by talking about the disease burden associated with complex perianal fistulas in Crohn's disease. And the answer, of course, is that that disease burden is substantial. Over the course of their lifetimes, perhaps a third of patients with Crohn's disease will develop perianal fistulae, and they will have a significant impact on quality of life, driving hospitalizations and surgeries, um, an impact on quality of life physically, and also in terms of mental health. But Dr. Gexi, what are some of the unmet needs in patients with complex perianal fistulas in Crohn's disease? Thank you, Phil, for the kind introduction. So, um, I think there are several unmet needs um, for this patient group. And I think one of the most important unmet needs um, is to predict which patients are actually going to develop perianal fistulas with Crohn's disease somewhere in the course of their disease. The cumulative risk actually increases with disease duration. And if we know that, then we could ensure that these patients can actually get early and continued aggressive treatment and they could possibly change the disease course, maybe even prevent the formation of perianal fistulas. Of course, some more knowledge on the pathophysiology um, is needed for that. Then I think um, my second um, uh, most important point would be the early recognition uh, of perianal fistulas and the timely drainage um, of these perianal fistulas so that we can limit the disease progression once it's there um, before we actually embark on any um, medical treatment. So, um, see them first um, so that these um, uh, this disease progression can be slowed down. And then the third is that multidisciplinary approach um, should be the standard for all patients, um, depending on their um, need um, at that moment and where they are on their journey with perianal fistulas. Um, a fourth one would be um, durable solutions um, with long-lasting effect so that they don't lose response to a treatment and that they don't have recurrent uh, perianal fistulas, which we know is also common in this patient group. And we also need harmonized outcomes um, to measure um, uh, response and remission in perianal fistulas. So would you, would you mind telling us a little bit about the, the current standard of care and the limitations of that current standard of care in, in managing these patients with complex perianal fistula and Crohn's disease? In general, antibiotics do offer a transient relief. However, when we stop with antibiotics, um, uh, the patients um, actually have recurrent uh, symptoms um, uh, after um, uh, stopping this treatment. 
Um, and I think in general, we would rarely use antibiotics uh, on the long run in this patient population. Um, then with regard to immunosuppressants, um, such as thiopurins um, or methotrexate, and we actually don't have robust data on the effectiveness. When it comes to biologicals, um, we have um, uh, we have robust data on anti-TNF treatment, most importantly on uh, infliximab. And of course, we have um, some data from uh, uh, from cohort studies, uh, prospective and retrospective cohort studies on newer biological agents um, as well, such as on ustekinumab or on um, uh, vedolizumab. And when it comes to surgical interventions, um, uh, there have been mostly retrospective case reports on uh, the application of plugs and glue, um, uh, as well as fistulotomy. Um, and uh, and I think the um, uh, the most crucial is the statin placement uh, in terms of surgical interventions, um, where all the treatment um, actually starts. Um, if you know that um, with um, many of the surgical interventions, the relapse rate is common, um, but I think the um, um, uh, the most uh, impactful is the incidence of post-operative complications or the possibility of post-operative complications, which has to be discussed upfront um, with the patients. Um, also, when we take a look at combined treatment, we see that um, um, that actually those patients who receive um, combined treatment of anti-TNFs and the surgical closure um, have actually a higher uh, success rate and a more durable um, success rate, um, such as illustrated by the PISA-2 um, uh, study. Um, also, um, uh, in the PISA-2, we have seen that those patients who achieved radiological healing, so those patients who actually um, achieved um, a, a fibrotic tract um, uh, of their fistula had uh, uh, had not have uh, any recurrence of their perianal fistulas, as opposed to those who um, um, who only had, for example, granulation tissue uh, on the MRI. So, Christina, let's talk a little bit now about the data on stem cell therapy in fistula healing. Take us away from from the, the slightly um, older-fashioned um, standard care and to see what, what this new option uh, means for us, for our patients. Indeed. <clears throat> so um, um, the first data on the mesenchymal stem cell treatment were published in 2016 um, in The Lancet. Those were the data of the Admire CD study, which um, uh, compared the uh, mesenchymal stem cells um uh, stem cell treatment in complex perianal fistulas, which were injected locally, um, uh, and um, it was compared uh, with placebo, where the internal opening um, was indeed closed. The primary endpoint of the study was uh, combined remission, combined remission of clinical remission as MRI remission, where MRI remission was defined as a lack of. Um, uh, collections uh, larger than that uh, than two centimeters, um, and there was a significant difference between the patients who were uh, treated with the mesenchymal stem cells um, as compared to placebo, with a delta of um, uh, more than fifteen percent. And then in the long term data, which was published a couple of years um, after, 
um, this difference was actually maintained um, throughout the first year of um, uh, follow-up. The most um, uh, prevalent uh, adverse events um, were uh, anal abscesses and proctalgia, uh, both in the stem cell group as well as um, in the placebo group. Uh, and this was actually similar to um, um, uh, to the long-term uh, follow-up. And interestingly, this admire um, CD2 study did not meet its primary endpoint of combined remission at 24 weeks. Um, the safety profile of this study was consistent with prior studies and there were no new safety signals identified. In, in the context of meta-analyses suggesting uh, a significant benefit from stem cells, it's difficult to know how to place um, this finding. And I think we need to see the data to really try and, and unpick it and understand what Admire CD2 tells us about stem cells in, in complex perianal fistulas in Crohn's disease. So looking at long-term effectiveness and safety of stem cell therapy, um, the INSPEC study, which was a retrospective chart review, um, evaluated um, uh, the patients who were treated with mesenchymal stem cells in the Admire study um, and as you can see in this um, cohort, patients were followed up for um, um, three years after the administration of stem cells. And that delta um, uh, between uh, the, um, the stem cell treated patients and the placebo treated patients um, was, um, uh, was present even um, uh, three years after treatment, um, only with a slightly um, uh, diminishing um, effect uh, over time. Um, more importantly, um, the safety results um, of this um, uh, long-term follow-up. Um, there was um, uh, one case reported of 46 patients um, in the control group who had the malignant epidermoid carcinoma. Um, and there was one uh, patient in the um, mesen mesenchymal stem cell group who had the benign fibroadenoma um, that was not considered to be related to the treatment. Um, and as you can see, um, both of these um, events were reported um, a long time after the administration. Um, and there were no reports or events related to ectopic tissue formation. So with this, um, we come to the summary of, of this section. Um, we've learned that complex perianal fistulas in Crohn's disease impose considerable burden on the patient. Um, and that the rates of failure and the relapse rates are high with the currently available treatment options. Um, we need um, uh, effective treatment options, um, especially for those patients who are refractory uh, to conventional treatment. And stem cell treatment is a good treatment option for complex perianal fistulas that otherwise cannot be healed. Thanks very much indeed, Christina. That was a, a terrific explanation and we're very grateful to you. Well, let's move on to our second uh, presentation in this uh, peer voice activity about complex perianal fistulas in Crohn's disease. And this one is about making and monitoring treatment plans for complex perianal fistulas in Crohn's and the role of MRI in informing our decisions. And I'm joined once again by my brilliant colleagues, Christina Gexi from the Amsterdam University Medical Center in the Netherlands and by Jordi Rimoli from the Department of Radiology in the Hospital Clinic de Barcelona in Spain. And Jordi, of course, 
um, thinking about the role of MRI is your area of expertise. And it's crucial. It's crucial for surgeons to have a really clear and precise evaluation in deciding how to manage patients with complex perianal fistulas in Crohn's disease or indeed outside of Crohn's because that roadmap, that anatomical roadmap, is absolutely central to the decision about the surgical options which we can undertake about whether the fistula is suitable for repair at all and if it is, which options do we have for surgical repair based on the anatomy of the fistula. So, Geordie, please go on to tell us a little bit more about how imaging helps in providing a roadmap for precise evaluation. Thanks a lot, Phil, for this uh, introduction and give me the opportunity to briefly explain the contribution of MRI in, in this complex uh, entity. So, uh, essentially, uh, MRI will complement examination under anesthesia, and examination under anesthesia is widely used for surgeons to uh, explore the NL canal and coupled with the palpation, uh, probably uh, surgeons may really identify the fistula location and potential complications but they are limited by the location of these lesions. So in complex serenal fistulas, there may be uh, extensions or collection far from the anal canal so that it could be out of uh, palpation of these lesions. So uh, moreover, uh, um, MRI, it's a very reliable tool for guiding potential uh, interventions over the anal canal-like uh, draining abscesses or placing setons without forgetting any extension or fistula obstruct outside the uh, examination under anesthesia. It all, not only provides information about the relationship between the fistula obstructs and the sphincter, also, and very important to avoid uh, recurrence, uh, it may identify secondary tracks or additional tracks without external openings and also very important the locations of collections and its differentiation between solid inflammatory masses and collections. So essentially this full virtual roadmap of the information will be uh, critical piece of information for uh, helping surgeons. As a matter of fact, there are a couple of uh, classical studies showing the relevance of adding MRI. Uh, uh, these studies come from several years ago, but uh, still had, had a very high impact on implementing MRI in clinical practice. For example, MRI uh, had been shown to guide surgical treatments in 40% of patients and adding MRI to the examination under anesthesia would reduce the fistula recurrence in up to 75% for the simple reason that uh, helps the surgeon not forgetting any uh, fistula obstruct or extension. Once we have the full map and surgeon has uh, included setons and draining, uh, it's important to monitorize the course of the disease. It's uh, important to remark that frequently the fistula may stop draining, but there is a 
discordant between the clinical evaluation and the internal status of the fistula. So that not infrequently in patients that a fistula that stop draining still has areas of internal activity. We have seen in some studies that this area of internal activity represents a risk of recurrence. And by contrast, when the fistula has a complete internal healing, that uh, predicts a long-term sustained clinical remission. So that it's important to guide treatments using MRI to avoid over-treatment when treatment is not necessary or to uh, decide stop treatment when there is complete healing. Moreover, in the different scenario when the patient do not has a favorable course, its uh, MRI may help to identify undrained collections or undrained extensions. And in rare cases, in some rare cases, uh, an alternative diagnosis like as some malignancies that mimics perianal fistulas disease that could be also identified by MRI. Thanks, Jordi. What are some of the trials and tools that looked into validating MRI in treatment response? In, in this study, um, patients uh, were evaluated initially and after some period of uh, uh, biological treatment by MRI. And um, the post-treatment MRI was um, correlated with long-term clinical oncomps. So they compare those patients that achieve a sustained clinical remission that appears in blue in this slide versus those that appear in yellow that had persistent drainage. Specifically, authors have analyzed two uh, important items. One uh, has a clear application in clinical research, that is the Magnifi CD score, and uh, that is an index measuring the combining parameters of activity and some others of complexity. And the other parameters that was analyzed was the achievement of fibrosis in the fistula. Specifically for uh, achievement of the fibrosis inside the fistula by visual assessment, authors have identified that achievement of, uh, as a 60% or above of the fibrotic component inside the fistula has a very high predictive value for long-term remission. Also, uh, if you are using Magnificity, they identified that uh, um, uh, achievement, a Magnificity of five points or below, also has a very high predictive value for sustaining remission. So, uh, essentially, this study confirmed some previous uh, monocentric studies uh, um, looking specifically of, on, at the achievement of internal fibrosis of the fistula. So the degree of fibrosis and also the reduction of magnificity as low as 5 or below at post-treatment MRI are potential predicting bioimaging biomarkers obtained by MRI that can predict the sustained long-term outcomes. A bigger study that has been previously mentioned, like the MARCD, introduced MRI as a co-primary endpoint. 
disco primary in time that known as combined remission, as mentioned by Christina, uses the closure of all treat treated external openings plus absence of collections of two centimeters. This definition was the first time that a clinical trial evaluating new treatment for perinal fistulas included MRI, and that was promoted by regulatory agencies. In further studies, this coprimarine point had been reproduced even using more stringent endpoints, even in some studies, probably will introduce the concept of internal healing, like uh, achievement of fibrosis in, in, the, in the perianal fistulas. So, in summary of this blog, uh, MRI is very useful tool not only to provide a full map of the fistular and associated complications, may help surgeons to guide intervention depicting the relationship of the fistulas and collection with the sphincters to avoid iatrogenia and to guiding placement of drainages, and also uh, it's very useful for guiding the monitorization of the disease and deciding when to stop or when to continue treatment after, uh, after its uh, initiation. Thank you. Thanks very much indeed, Jordi. That was really, really interesting. And now uh, for the third part of this peer voice activity, the third presentation is about practical and patient-centered considerations for the use of stem cell therapy for complex perianal fistulas in Crohn's disease, and really how we can improve that care process for our patients. Joining me again are my superb colleagues, Christina Getche from the Amsterdam University Medical Center in the Netherlands, and Jordi Romola from the Department of Radiology in the Hospital Clinic de Barcelona in Spain. So I wanted to start really by talking about this new classification of complex perianal fistulas, the top class classification developed through a consensus process with some really excellent colleagues from around Europe and America. And the idea of this classification is to separate patients out with their Crohn's perianal fistulae into these different compartments along the journey of their perianal disease, starting from really minimal disease on the left and then moving through symptomatic fistulae that we might try and repair or symptom control and then leading on to defunctioning and proctectomy and then the aftermath of proctectomy if that's where the patient ends up. And the idea of separating them out is that it can help us to guide therapy and management in each of these groups, but also it means that we will be more effectively able to split patients up and classify them prior to inclusion in research studies so that we have less heterogeneity within these groups when patients enter research studies. Thank you, Phil. That's really interesting. So what are your specific surgical considerations and what are the practicalities when you use mesenchymal stem cells in your practice for Crohn's complex perianal fistulas? Thanks, Christina. So we recruited patients into the ADMIRE2 study and the first consideration, of course, is whether or not patients are eligible to have stem cells. And that's clearly delineated within the context of the ADMIRE2 study whether or not those indications will become a little bit wider 
uh, outside of trial use is a really interesting question. From my point of view, there are two really key components. And the first is that the fistula, the perineum and the surrounding tissues, including the rectum, are calm. They're not too grossly inflamed. There's no active or refractory proctitis and there's no florid perianal disease. In other words, the fistula is key. It's willing to accept the idea that it might undergo an attempt to at repair. And then regarding the anatomy of the fistula in particular, it's important to be able to access all parts of it for curatage and to be able to inject stem cells around all parts of it, but crucially to be able to close the internal opening in one way or another. You'll remember that for both of my one and two trials, closure of the internal opening and then testing of that closure were key components of the surgical intervention. And I think those remain really important. The next, the next components are, of course, the efficacy of stem cells in Crohn's perianal fistula. I'm just going to show you a couple of slides now about efficacy and then one about safety from meta-analyses, which really demonstrate those points. So this first meta-analysis looked at Crohn's fistulas versus non-Crohn's fistula in terms of uh, healing by stem cells and demonstrated actually that they were relatively equivalent. Around 58 or 59% of uh, patients had clinical healing in the, in the context of stem cell treatment, whether they had Crohn's fistulas or non-Crohn's fistulas. This next comparison is about stem cells versus placebo. And we should really think about placebo in this context as a comparator rather than a true placebo treatment, because as you'll remember in the Admire CD study, at least, a fairly substantial uh, operation was undertaken with curatage and closure of the internal openings that can hardly be called placebo specifically. But there was still a clear delta between the patients who had stem cells and those who didn't within this meta-analysis with a difference of around about 20% in this setting. You'll remember that it was around 15% in the context of the Admire CD study itself. This is another moment to mention the Admire 2 data, which didn't show that delta. And it will be really interesting to review those data, particularly in the context of these other studies which have been produced. And then the safety of stem cells with a really clear and low um, incidence rate of treatment-related adverse events in the stem cell group. So we can be confident, I think, from all of the data out there, that stem cells are a safe thing to use. And Phil, um, why uh, do you think that a multidisciplinary approach in the management of complex perinatal fistulas in grants is important? Uh, in addition... What do you think is the is the the main uh, ideal team composition of this multidisciplinary team, and can you propose multidisciplinary care plans for patients with uh, complex perineal fistula uh, due to Crohn's? Thanks, Jordi. I think that's a terrific question. There are there are few areas of medicine I think which demand multi a multidisciplinary approach more clearly than complex fistula in perianal Crohn's disease. And you can see here, at the centre of everything is the patient, exactly where they should always be. But we've got a whole team 
of healthcare professionals that we might involve, including the colorectal surgeon, uh, the gastroenterologist and the radiologist, of course, who will help to define the, the treatment strategy and to undertake it. But we've also got really clear input from the pathologist and in particular from the allied health professionals, the IBD nurses, the dietitian, and other members of the team, perhaps a pharmacist, all of whom will contribute to the patient's well-being and aid in their pathway throughout the treatment of their perianal Crohn's, which, let's not forget, will include imaging and biopsies. It will include perineal surgery, but it may well include abdominal surgery, sometimes at a time when the patient is really not very well. And all of this will happen in the context of luminal disease, which can be active and causing trouble right at the same time as the perianal diseases. So this is a genuinely and truly multidisciplinary team approach, in my view. And that's because of this complexity, the need for multiple diagnostics and these combined treatment options. But it's not just about patient care. It's also about education, both of the patients and amongst ourselves and our colleagues, and of course in research. If we're thinking about the clinical management of patients as being multidisciplinary, then our research can be nothing else but multidisciplinary with all of the specialists involved as well as the allied healthcare professionals and, of course, crucially, patients right at the centre of it, reminding us about the importance of this kind of research, helping us define and refine our research questions and helping us to understand about the acceptability of the interventions we might offer and also about the importance of the particular outcomes. And of course, there is a core outcome set for Crohn's anal fistula and a quality of life score, which can be used in research for these purposes. It's excellent, Phil. Um, do you think that, that we are missing someone from the MDT? Do you think that mental health practitioners should be um, involved in this, in this discussion? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Christina. Um, now, this has traditionally been a gap, hasn't it? And, and guidelines at the moment don't really recommend addressing the psychological comorbidities associated with perianal Crohn's specifically, although there is an increasing understanding of psychogastroenterology, the importance of the brain-gut axis and the enormous value that psychological care can bring to our patients. Thinking about the IBD boost study, but also just about bringing psychologists and psychiatrists into the clinical management of our patients, whether they've got luminal disease or perianal disease. And in perianal disease, it's particularly important because these often young patients can have such a substantial uh, impact from their perianal disease upon their physicality, of course, but also a lot uh, on their quality of life and their mental health through an, in, an impingement on their socialization, their ability to develop uh, um, emotional and, and sexual relationships, for example, all of these things so crucial to them and to maintaining their good mental health are affected by their perianal disease. So yes, I completely agree. The presence of psychological or psychiatric support within the MDT is absolutely crucial. So to summarize this third presentation, the multidisciplinary team could not be more important than it is in perianal Crohn's disease and including psychiatric or psychological support within that team is also crucial in maintaining optimal management 
and care of patients with complex fistulas in perianal Crohn's disease. We should be directing our care of these patients very specifically towards them according to their class, as well as their own personal needs. That means understanding disease characteristics, fistula anatomy, but also where the patient is in their life. Are they about to get married? Are they just in that phase where they're starting to try to develop emotional and physical relationships? Where are they in their careers and so on? And of course, local experience and availability of treatment, which doesn't mean that patients should have whatever they can get locally, but rather having decided what patients need. If that can't be offered where they are, then referral to a centre that can provide it is a really important step. In the long term, it's going to be important to understand the efficacy and safety of our current standard of care and of advanced techniques like stem cells in order that we can improve the care that we're giving to these patients. So I would like to thank my colleagues, Christina Gecce and Jordi Ramola, for their really superb input to these presentations that I hope you've enjoyed listening to as much as I have. Thanks very much indeed. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.